let's just go straight into it because um, you know, I tend to be known to go long <laughs> in preaching. Last time I came here was like two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? No, three weeks ago. And I, I went over an hour. So I promise, <laughs> I promise I won't do that. Carolina gave, gave me that look. I promise I won't do that. <laughs> All right, let's, let's get into it. Let's turn to the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 15. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 15, verse 1 through 15. Let me give you a minute to turn there. Cool, I'm going to be reading from the ESV. And the word of God says, Then Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, Why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy over you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Verse 10. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person that defiles a person. Then the, then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? And Jesus answered, Every plant that, has, that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And Jesus said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it expelled and it is is expelled but what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person for out of the heart comes evil thoughts murder adultery sexual immorality theft false witness slander these are what defile a person but to each with unwashed hands does not defile anyone amen Uh, let's pray together father we thank you this afternoon that we could gather as a corporate body uh, to simply be in your presence and, and, and to just worship you. And Father, we thank you that you prepare a table before us fresh each and every day. And we come before you wanting to sit with you and dine with you. So I pray that your spirit of wisdom and revelation open the eyes of our hearts. Give us understanding for you said, he who has an ear, let him hear. Let us hear your voice. And I pray that your words would cut our hearts deep today. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Back in the day, when I grew up, 
going to church, I used to rock this bracelet, right? I used to uh, wear this bracelet. I had like five of them, different colors. A fabric bracelet I would put on my wrists, uh, mostly for style, to match with my clothes. That's why I have so many different colors. <laughs> but also, um, as a reminder, this bracelet had a four-letter acronym on it. And the acronym says W-W-J-D, right? It stands for what? What would Jesus do? Right? How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? You guys had this too? You guys rock that too? Yeah, yeah. I actually wish I still had one. I wish I had one. It's like retro, retro now, right? <laughs> but I used to wear this all the time. You know, we usually approach this bracelet, right, that we walked around with. If we were to look back and be honest, I think most of us, though we were sincere in our hearts, we walked around with it with a moral standpoint. Right? We walked around saying thoughts like, you know, I should do that because Jesus would. Or I should not do that because Jesus wouldn't. When I'm tempted by, you know, sin, pornography, or whatnot, I look at my wrist and I'm like, no, Jesus wouldn't do that, right? So I'm, do that. When I'm trying to steal something. I would look at my wrist and be like, Jesus wouldn't do that. You know what I mean? I walk past, I walk past someone, like a homeless person, and then, what would Jesus do? So it's like, oh, yeah, right, I just gave, you know? It's like, it was kind of like a moral accountability thing, if we were to be honest, right? And you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not slamming this. You know, I'm not like looking down on this. Uh, because it's sincere, right? Uh, this is great. But without self-awareness and a periodic inner analysis of our hearts, you know what we can do? We can think that we are, follow- we are you know, being Christ followers, but actually far from it. Right? And, you know, I could feed the homeless. I could reach the lost, evangelize to the lost. I could heal the sick. I can take care of orphans and widows, even sacrifice my own time, money, energy toward doing something good. But at the same time, I could, it's possible that it's, I'm still not connected with the intentions in the heart of Jesus. Right? We can be on point with great traditions. Everyone say traditions. But we can miss the point. And if we're humble enough, right, if we're humble enough, we'll admit to ourselves we're actually more prone to do that than we think. Mm. Actually, without living an intentional spirit-led life, we are more often than not prone to wander. We drift. Exhibit A, what we just read right here, the Pharisees and the scribes, right? So let's look at the text right here. It says here, in verse 1, that the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus all the way from Jerusalem. They traveled pretty far, right? Oh, man. You all right, little man? <laughs> they traveled pretty far to pretty much confront Jesus. And if you read this just on the surface, it kind of sounds kind of lame. Like, you traveled this far to tell me, if I was Jesus, like, you traveled this far to tell me that my disciples are not washing their hands before they eat? Like, are you serious? You know what I mean? Like, are you, how much are you trying, you know, you're out there to get me, right? <clears throat> but you see here, it's that they say, 
the disciples are not obeying the tradition of the elders. It says here in verse 2. The tradition of the elders. Now what is that? For Jews, back in the day, and even now, there's this extra text called the Mishnah. Extra text called the Mishnah. And this Mishnah is actually, it was continually be, being added to. It's man-made rituals and traditions passed down from generation to generation. And it, what it is is practical rules and rituals with spiritual significance. But not necessarily connected to the exact laws of God. See, this Mishnah is like a moral thing. They added spiritual significance to it. It's not a bad thing, right? It's not a bad thing. You know, for them, they believe one of the things in the Mishnah, you have to wash your hands before you eat, right? It's not just a hygienic thing, but for Jews, the physical was spiritual. Their worldview was like that, right? And for, you know, they came all the way for this. A tradition by the Jews formed with good intentions, but... Not really from God. Right? Good things, but not necessarily biblical things. Now, all of us have a quote-unquote Mishnah in our hearts. You know why? Because all of us, in our spiritual formation, it's a hybrid of two things that formed us spiritually. It's actually traditions and the truth. We all have the Word of God that is influencing and shaping us. But we all have our own quote-unquote Mishnahs, our own traditions and Christian cultures that we have grown up with, many layers of cultures that influence our lens of how we navigate this world. Okay? Now, here's what we need to examine in our hearts is, have we abided more by tradition and culture or by truth in the Bible? And part of the reason why I want to preach this message, and this is a message I want to preach for our generation, is, be, is because if we were to be honest, our generation, we are not too literate when it comes to the Word of God. Right? We are not too literate. We are actually more formed by culture and trend. The spirit of the age, as the Bible calls it, than the actual words of Jesus. And I'll say that for myself. I'm a hype beast. <laughs> a hype beast, that means, you guys know hype beasts? Hype beasts are those people that are so influenced by, you know, culture and material, you know. You know, like, if you look at Yeezys and, like, Balenciaga, these shoes, back in the day, they used to be so ugly. I still think they're ugly, right? But then, one day, it just grew on me. I was like, I want those. Those are tight. Those look good. You know what I mean? I'm so affected. I'm so affected by culture. I'm a hype beast, you know? Right? <laughs> Back to serious mode, right? But the Word of God, it stands the test of time. There's principles, there's truths in the words of Jesus that stands the test of time. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right? We got to check our hearts. Are we inspired more by tradition or truth? Even today, are we doing what we are doing because we are inspired directly by the Word of God? Or are we doing what we're doing because it is what it is? We're going with the flow. We're just used to it. Right? Traditions passed on generation to generation. And then Jesus replies to these Pharisees. 
Man, you come all the way here to tell me my disciples aren't washing my hands, you know? He replies directly with a gangster answer. He says, look, how are you going to elevate your traditions, your Mishnah, over the very commandments of God? And he says this. He brings up the fifth commandment out of the 12 commandments. He says, hey, I see what you guys are doing. The commandment says, honor your mother and father. Simple command. Honor your father and mother. And this is what the Pharisees did. With everything that they got, with all the blessings they got from serving, right? They said, let's just say, for example, they got financial blessings for what they did. They would sacrifice it and offer it and give it unto God, but neglect their parents. You see, they think they're being holy. They think they're being righteous, but they're not catching the heart of the commandments. Saying, how are you going to follow these traditions but neglect love? Right? And that's, that's, that's a real question that the church needs to hear. That's a real question we, we got to be honest with on ourselves. Like, we're so prone to wonder. It's like we love tradition. We love what we're used to in our religiosity, in our spiritual formation. But let's keep the main thing the main thing. Do we neglect love? Right? Do we neglect people? Right? Honoring your mother and father, that's the example that Jesus brings up. And then Jesus directly says, hey, you guys, you guys are a fulfilled prophecy of the book of Isaiah. Let me tell you which prophecy you fulfilled. And it's this one. You know, their lips, they say good things on the outside, but their hearts are so far from me. Their hearts are so far from me. We should not assume that we are not Pharisaic. You know, Pharisaic. And by the way, you know, New Philly Puzan, this is not a diagnostic message, all right? I'm not saying like, all right, Puzan, there are a bunch of Pharisees, they need to hear this message, all right? It is not like that, all right? So open up your hearts, it's okay, all right? This is a general thing that we all deal with, all right? Here we go. <laughs> Just got to put it out there, okay. Yeah. You see, what we're talking about here is this term that we hear a lot. It's called the religious spirit, right? Or the Pharisaic spirit. Here's the thing. When I was younger, growing up, not that much younger, maybe like five years ago, I used to use that term a lot, the religious spirit. But I look back and I feel pretty stupid. You know why? Because I would misdiagnose religious spirit based on this. If their culture or tradition is different than mine, then that's religious spirit. So religious spirit has, <laughs> it really has less to do with church tradition and culture, whether they're charismatic or conservative. You know, I loved, I loved, I love the charismatic church, right? I love that tradition. But I used to look at, you know, in seminary, my conservative friends, I'd be like, man, Lord, break that religious spirit. <laughs> you know what I mean? But little did I know where God confronted me and was like, hey, you got the religious spirit. I remember seminary, I went, I went to torch and I went to chapel, right? And we're singing out of a hymnal. 
we're singing out of a hymnal, and everyone's super, like, straight and narrow, like, you know, it was very just holy in there, right? And then I remember, like, being such a fool and walking in, and I'd be in the back. I'd, I'd be that charismatic kid, you know, just pacing back and forth. Father, you know, bring your fire here. <laughs> bring your fire. Pour out your spirit here. You know, I just break off this religious spirit and all that. You know what? God confronted me. He was like, JP, you put me in a box. And that box is labeled charismatic tradition. As if God can't move in any tradition, right? And so God confronted me. And that's when I realized, oh, man, this kingdom is so much bigger than my little world in my mind. Because I thought this. I thought this. Because it's a different style of worship, different style of praise, it's as if I couldn't engage with God if it's not my style. Which means what? I'm missing the heart of it. I'm, I focus more on the packaging than the substance inside. You know what I'm saying? Right? We all deal with this, right? Just because we are faithful to, to, to tradition doesn't mean we are living a righteous life. Verse 11. Let's look at verse 11. And it says this. Jesus says, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. It's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. Now, this verse, let me just, let me just pause and say this. This is what Jesus is not saying. Or I've heard people, I've, pe- I've heard people use this. Like, hey, it's not about whether I, you know, get drunk, whether I consume, you know, all this alcohol, whether I smoke or whatnot. Like, it's not about that. It's about my heart. It's about how I love people, right? Totally out of context, all right? Like, you can't use that, all right? <laughs> That's not what it's for. The context here, right? If we read here, it's talking, Jesus is talking about ritualistic cleansing, tradition. He's talking to the Jews. It's not Jews that were, you know, addicted to alcoholism or smoking weed or whatever. You know, it's, it's Jews that were emphasizing tradition. So what is Jesus trying to say here in verse 11 is this. It's not about following human tradition that defiles you, but righteous living isn't about that. Righteous living is about the heart. It's not just about sincerity and faithfulness. But it also has to do with what's biblical. Right? I'm going to get into that soon. Right? In Luke chapter 11, I'm going to read this real quick. Luke 11, 28 to 41. Even, you know, the disciples didn't wash their hands before they ate. Right? Even Jesus didn't wash his hands before he ate. I'm going to read this right here. The Pharisees were astonished to see that Jesus did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give us alms, those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. So even Jesus didn't abide by the, the Mishnah. Right? And I love this quote uh, by a well-known pastor. He says, Jesus is perfect theology. 
You guys heard that before? Very simple quote. Jesus is perfect theology. And what that means is this. The teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the heart of Jesus, if you abide by that, that's perfect theology. Jesus is the standard. And when we look at Jesus here, talking to the Pharisees, what is he getting at here? He's getting at the cardia. He's getting at the heart. All right? Everyone say heart. Here's the thing. One of my biggest fears, one of my biggest fears in my life is this. Later down the road, to be super fruitful and successful in ministry. To lead so many people to Christ. To be, in, to be used to hold crazy revival services. You know, to be fruitful in all these good things, but be empty on the inside. In my short life, I have experienced that. There has been some degree of success. People have texted me and be like, da 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 say all these encouraging things. I go home, I feel empty inside. I feel rotten inside. Because something's off. Did you know that sometimes God will let us succeed? To prove a point. That we can succeed with man-made tradition, but miss the heart of Jesus. We can come Sunday and Sunday out to church, do the tradition, but we can miss his heart. Right? Now, so what's going on on the inside? What is Jesus wanting here? What is Jesus emphasizing here? And immediately after that, Jesus begins to talk about plants. Right? Plants always in the Bible is connected with fruitfulness. Okay, fruitfulness. Now, what Jesus pays attention to here when it comes to the heart, and I, I like to think about our hearts as our inner garden, right? Our inner garden. It's this, this fruit of life. What is going on in the inside? Is there fruit of the Spirit that is growing on the inside? Is there transformation really taking place on the inside of our hearts? In other words, when we look at our lives, when we examine our lives, do we see a Psalm chapter 1 life? Are we like a tree planted by streams of living water whose delight is in what? Whose delight is in the law of the Lord, not delight in traditions. Whose delight is in the Word of God? Because that life right there, it says directly in the Word of God, that is the life of fruitfulness. I'd rather be a quote-unquote failure in this worldly standards on the outside but fruitful on the inside. Because if I'm fruitful in the inside, I could get through that. You know what I mean? Are we living that Psalm chapter 1 life? Delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night, fruitful in season. Let's examine our hearts today. Let's examine our hearts. May the words of our mouths and the meditation of our heart be pleasing to Him. Amen? Or is our hearts filled with death? Is our hearts filled with, whether we say it or not, is it filled with criticism and gossip and that which does not build up? Is it filled with thoughts that root from fear? Is it filled with thoughts that root from slander and deceit? Because Jesus addresses this directly right there. Are our hearts, you know, it says, let's just read it right here. 
It says in verse 19, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know the opposite of love is? It's lust. And it's not just talking about, it's not just talking about uh, physical lust. Right? Lust comes from a heart that is coveting, wanting the life of somebody else. You know, lust comes from comes from comparison. You know, lust comes from these comes from these things and it's toxic to our hearts. But love, the fruit of the spirit, right? The love in our hearts, man, when we begin to, you know, in the Bible it says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Alright. You know, when Jesus is speaking in uh, the book of Matthew, he's going around, and there's actually three types of people that are listening to Jesus. Three types of people. The first type of people, they are the fans of Jesus, the crowds. The people that are like, I want to see what's going on. You know? These are the people that want to be entertained. and They want to, you know, fill their curiosity. Who's this guy healing people? Who's this guy hanging out with sinners, right? The fans, too, are the followers, the disciples are there to walk with Jesus, to know his heart. They're committed to him, the followers of Jesus. Right? So fans, followers, and the third ones are frauds. Right? These are the Pharisees, thinking that they are following, but they are actually not. What's the difference between the frauds and the followers? The difference is this. The difference is action and obedience, but not only action and obedience, but also the heart motive behind their action and obedience. It's not, just, it's not enough just to be faithful and obedient. It's about the heart motive. Right? Is it love-based and affection-based obedience? Or is it fear-based legalistic obedience? Because a disciple or a follower is a devoted follower of a leader worth emulating, obeying, and committing one's devotion to. A disciple not only learns by knowledge, but also obeys with action. The whole life, heart, mindset of a disciple aligns with his teachings, but especially and most importantly, they get his heart. Because they do life with Jesus. Not only do they witness this, witness this, but they also are recipients of it. So what's Jesus' main point as we read this passage? He is addressing the heart. He's addressing the heart. So today, if I had this bracelet, WWJD on it, right, I don't think I would think, what would Jesus do? I think I would think, why would Jesus do? Right? I think if I still had this bracelet, or whatever, hat, or tattoo, whatever, right? If I had WWJD, I wouldn't think, what would Jesus do from a moral standpoint? I would want to go deeper and think, why would Jesus do? Why did Jesus do this? Right? I went to uh, Pastor Susie Park's house, and then she's a very holy woman of God, right? She really is, okay? I'm not being sarcastic, right? She really is. I'm just saying this because I know she's going to listen to this, right? Hi, Susie. Uh, she'll be here next week, right? I went to her house, and on her wall, she has this quote and that came out of uh, her, her time of worship. 
So it says the quote and then dash K1 session, right? Even though it was through her. She doesn't want to put her name, right? <laughs> it says, it's so good. It says, I don't just want to be found faithful. I want to be found hungry. Dang. I'll say that again. I don't just want to be found faithful. I want to be found hungry. One of the fruits of a transformed heart is a hunger and yearning to know Christ more. The Pharisees missed it. They were faithful somewhat, quote unquote. They were obedient somewhat. But they did not know, want to know Christ. They didn't. Right? And this is a transformed heart. It reflects a life where intimacy is not tradition. But for so many, so many times in our lives, intimacy becomes tradition. I should go to church. I should read the Bible. All these things, it becomes tradition. Right? So what would Jesus do until why would Jesus do? Right? There is a literary phrase, right? Who's good at English here, literature or all that stuff, right? I'm not, so I might butcher this. But stay with me, all right? Stay with me. There's a literary phrase differentiating two types of statements. I learned this in seminary, and this phrase is called indicative imperative. You guys know this? All right, everyone say indicative imperative. All right, they are two types of statements, all right? Now, why I, wa I want to say this is to, is to help us understand uh, what Jesus is getting at when it comes to our hearts. Imperative statements, right, are statements that are to be obeyed. Commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's an imperative statement, right? But before that, indicative statements are facts and truth that are the that's the driving force behind the imperative statements, right? I'll say that again. Indicative statements are the facts and truth that cause that are the driving force behind the imperative statements. Let me give you an example. Ephesians 4:32 it says. Be kind and compassionate to one another. What is that? That's the imperative statement. But it says right after that, it says, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. That's the indicative statement. So imperative statement, I should, we should be kind and compassionate to one another. But why? But why? The indicative is so important. It's indicative upon the fact that Christ is kind and compassionate to me. Amen? We love. We are commanded to love our neighbors. That's an imperative statement. But what's the indicative? We love because he first loved us. Why am I sharing this? Because naturally, because of our sin nature, this is what happens. Like the Pharisees, we can get so used to focusing on the imperatives, the commands to obey, but do so without believing or understanding the indicatives in our hearts. We should love. Why? Because he so loves us. The Pharisees and the scribes got the imperatives down, or they tried to. But what was off in their hearts was their indicative. You know what their indicative was? Self-righteousness. They obeyed 
right? And their motive was self-righteousness, right? You and I, we can do all the imperatives and obey commandments without love and without the Holy Spirit. It can be from a motive of moralism, but John 15 says this, abide in me, and I will abide in you. We want fruitfulness in our hearts. We want that indicative to our imperatives to be super strong. We got to abide in his truth, not abide in traditions. Amen? Right. So, to the degree and to the, to the degree and extent and depth of our indicative will be the degree of how powerful and rich our imperative will be. Without a strong indicative, we can only go so far. It will be like clean on the outside, but empty on the inside. Right? Now, I'm going to read some verses when it comes to the heart. It says, Proverbs 4.23, it says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. And another translation said, Guard your heart, keep your heart, for from your heart springs forth springs of life. Matthew 12.34, For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Proverbs 21.2, all deeds are right in the sight of the doer, but the Lord weighs the heart. So this right here and what I'm about to read is a scripture that we should all memorize. Psalm 139, 23 to 24. We sang it earlier. It says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Test my heart. Holy Spirit, help me. Show me if I'm leaning more on tradition or I'm leaning more on your truth. In Psalm 51.10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Amen? And I'll close with this. One of the greatest indicatives that you and I dismiss, one of the greatest indicatives, a huge step we overlook and think that it's just elementary, it's Calvary. The cross of Jesus is the greatest indicative, is the greatest motive, it's the greatest thrust that will cause us to live our life of obedience, of our imperatives. Calvary is the greatest indicative. That's why Paul says this. He says to the churches, he said, I didn't come to you with, you know, cool words. I didn't come to you with just just a feed trend. I didn't come to you to try to entertain you. I didn't come to you with eloquent words of wisdom. I came to you with Christ and him crucified. And he said this, I desire to know, Paul knows a lot. He's a rabbi. He says, I desire to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. Because Paul knows in his heart that Calvary, Christ crucified, is the greatest indicative that we need to get in our hearts. It's not just a good Friday thing we visit once a year and we remember. It's a daily thing. This is our greatest indicative. Calvary. 
How often do we meditate on the cross? From the cross flows any pure desire to obey anything. From Calvary love is where our heart motives are sanctified. Our heart motives, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If you want a pure heart, sit at the feet of Calvary and park there for a while. Think about the cross and what that meant for our lives. Because any other motive will rise to the surface and we will soon realize that this motive is an idol. This motive is not good enough. It's only the extent and degree of Christ's love on the cross. That alone will sanctify our heart's purity. A devotion, of following him. Right? It's the cross of Jesus Christ. Why should I forgive? That imperative to forgive those who have hurt me. Why should I forgive? Why should I bless those who have persecuted me? Why should I obey all these commandments that are so biblical and there? Why should I love my neighbor that's so different from me? Why should I not look down on people of different race than me? Why should I love my neighbor in that way? Why does this seem so radical and so far from me? Why should I love the orphan and the widow? Why should I live a holy life? Why should I obey the Ten Commandments? Why should I do all these things? Why? What would Jesus do? He would lay down his life on the cross and bleed to show his love. Why would Jesus do it? To show his love. To show our value to him. That while we were still sinners, still sinners, Christ died for us. That Christ, his life was not taken from him. He chose to lay it down for us. He took our crown of thorns that we so deserved, and he crowned us with his crown and called us royalty. But he didn't just throw that crown of thorns away. He put it on himself. And he gave us righteousness. That we would never have to work for it again. Why should we care for the orphans? Because we were orphaned. Because we were adopted. Because Jesus signed those adoption papers with his own blood. And we were brought into the family of God. Why should we bless those who persecute us? What's the indicative? Calvary. Because Jesus blessed those who persecuted him. And he made something out of them. Look at Apostle Paul. We need to go back to the foot of the cross. I remember even just a few years ago, not even that long ago, whenever I heard that statement, we have to go back to the cross. We need to go back to the foot of the cross. I just dismissed it. I dismissed it. I wouldn't say it at the time, but to be honest, in my heart I said to myself, that's elementary. I know that stuff already. It's time for Holy Spirit stuff now, you know? It's not either or, it's both and. The cross of Jesus Christ, we need revelation of the cross, not just when we got saved, not just when we got justified, but through this whole process of sanctification, we better cling to the cross. We better not dismiss it as if we know all about it. 
We better not forget the fact that his body was marred beyond human semblance. That when, we, when people looked at that body, they didn't see the body of Jesus. They saw just a, just a piece of meat. The Bible says that his body was so marred that they didn't even notice that it was a human being. It says that in Isaiah 53. There's so much in the cross. And that's our greatest indicative. Amen? Let's close our eyes. I'm just going to read the scripture over us. And as I read this scripture, I want to give you a moment in silence just to ask Holy Spirit to examine our hearts. And I want you to imagine Calvary, that old rugged cross. I want you to just sit there. And just remember once again, even if you don't feel anything, the price he paid, the length he went, the indicative of his love. He obeyed his imperative. He obeyed the will of his Father. But what was his indicative? It's because he loves you and I. Psalm 139, 23-24, it says, Search me, God. Know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. I want to give you a moment. Just pray that. Pray that. It's an honest prayer unto God. God, am I clinging to tradition? Am I clinging to my Mishnah? Is your word of supreme value to me? Do I hunger and thirst after righteousness, God? Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 51.10, God, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Renew a right spirit within me. And I want to invite us to just pray. Change my heart, God. You redeemed me, but transform my heart, God. I've overcomplicated things with my traditions and all this culture. God, change my heart. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. God, I'm desperate because I don't want to end up hollow and empty. Change my heart, God. You have to change my heart, God. God, I have to get it, God.
let's all uh, let's all stand to our feet and um, hold hands with each other. I'm gonna close for us in prayer. Um, before I close for us in prayer, just one last prayer we can pray is, you know, whenever I come to Sunday gathering, uh, we always do individual connection with God, but corporate um, connection is why we gather also. Uh, let's pray a corporate prayer also for this this community here, this church. And God, um, simple prayer here at New Philly, um, Busan, let our indicative be so strong. Let our indicative run deep. That's Psalm 1 life, right? Like detox my addiction to tradition. Right? Detox all that, God, and fill me with that indicative of your love, of your spirit. Let's just pray that together, and then I'll close us in prayer. Yeah, let's pray.